and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we invite God into our world, He walks in. He brings a host of gifts, joy, patience, resilience. Anxieties come, but they don't stick. Fears surface, and then depart. Regrets land on the windshield, but then comes the wiper of prayer. There's still stones of guilt, but we turn and give them to Christ. We are wired with energy. We are happier, healthier, and more hopeful than we have ever been. Struggles come, for sure, but so does God. Prayer is not a privilege for the pious, not the art of a chosen few. Prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and his children. He wants to talk with you. We meet now in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us enter into that conversation with God as we search out the truth and we find the right way to faith. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. Jesus taps at the door, we open it, and let the conversation begin. How are you today? Very well, thank you. We lost an hour of sleep last night. Today is the start of Daylight Savings Time, where we turn our clocks ahead to have more daylight in the coming months. With longer days, we know that winter is finally almost over. In fact, spring begins one week from today. Warmer months are coming. It's a good time, a hopeful time, is it not? Yes, it can't come soon enough for me. <laughs> I certainly agree with you. Today is also the ninth anniversary of the election of Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio as the 266th head of the Roman Catholic Church. Pope Francis is one of the most influential people in the world. Worldwide, people listen to him and his insight, especially as we watch the war in Ukraine unfold. Pope Francis said the Vatican is ready to do everything to put itself at the service of peace in Ukraine. Pope Francis is sending two cardinals to Ukraine, saying the presence of the two cardinals there is the presence not only of the Pope, but of all the Christian people who want to get closer and say, war is madness. Stop, please. Look at this cruelty. What do you think of the Pope's decision, Archbishop, to send cardinals to Ukraine? Well, first, a little correction. You said he's the head of the Catholic Church. The Pope is the visible head of the Catholic Church. The head of the Catholic Church is none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, so he's this visible kind of, uh, just that little clarification, but um, theological clarification. Uh, well, I, who am I to say what, whether the Pope should send two cardinals to, U, to Ukraine or not? But I, 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 obviously, he and his advisors have felt that, this, that these cardinals going over there can do some good, and I sure hope they can. Uh, they're probably in danger being there, uh, but... Uh, you know, uh, I think f finally the Holy See has said some very strong things about what Russia's doing in Ukraine. And uh, whether Mr. Putin will listen to that, I doubt it. But, uh, you know, just because the Pope said it, he won't listen. But uh, we hope that this uh, very cruel, savage, unjustified, unwarranted aggression will stop. I think everybody is wanting to do something, including the Holy Father. And so this is his attempt to insert into the discussion some of what he believes is is just and, and needs to be done in order to bring about peace. 
Well, there's only one just thing that needs to be done, and that's for Russia to withdraw and go back to its own country. There's no, there are no issues here that uh, really have any justification whatsoever for what Russia did. You know, it's not like they're aggrieved at something that Ukraine did to them. So let's hope that uh, cooler heads in Russia will prevail in some manner, because I don't know that Mr. Putin will on his own, but uh, who knows? Tuesday, March 15th is True Confessions Day. It's a day created to inspire people to let go of their secrets and have a day of honesty. For Catholics, confession, or the Sacrament of Reconciliation, can be a very important part of Lent. Talk about the importance of confessing our sins, Archbishop. Well, even from the psychological point of view, we know that uh, there is a value in people unburdening themselves of things that they carry with them that are that are wrong, that they have done or failed to do. And uh, with with the sacrament of penance, this is uh, elevated by Christ into a sacrament, that it's not just therapeutic from a psychological point of view, but it is uh, the therapeutic uh, force of God's forgiveness to us in the confessional. So it's a great sacrament that is confirmed by our own human experience of being able to unburden ourselves But in this case, it's far more than that. It is uh, Christ himself absolving us from sin. We've reinstated Monday night confessions during Lent. Do you know if most parishes throughout the Archdiocese of Hartford are participating? Well, I expect them all to participate. We have reinstituted it again this year with the appropriate publicity. And, um, of course, because of COVID, everything is kind of in tilt. So I I suppose there will be some... uh, um, maybe some glitches for some parishes or how it, how it works out, but, but certainly we're committed to doing it this year. Thursday, we celebrate the Feast of St. Patrick, patron saint of Ireland who converted the Irish to Christianity, established monasteries, churches, and schools throughout Ireland. Uh, there are also many legends about him, including the use of the shamrock in order to explain the Trinity. Ireland came to celebrate his day with religious services and feasts, However, here in the United States, it's become uh, quite a secular holiday. Celebrations generally focus around beer, green beer, and a meal of corned beef and cabbage. What do you feel has led to the popularity of St. Patrick, Archbishop? Well, I think it's because there are so many Irish Americans of that heritage who came to the United States, and so it became emblematic of their heritage and their chance to you know, have a public moment. Uh, and so that's all to the good. But as you point out, the principal thing here is we're talking about a saint whose life calls us to, to faith and conversion and uh, who should be appropriately commemorated uh, by prayer and mass and not just uh, the, the festivities that follow. And on Saturday, we celebrate the feast of St. Joseph, husband of Mary, foster father of Jesus. Despite being a prominent figure in the life of Jesus, He isn't mentioned in the Gospels a great deal. In fact, very little is known about him, and his exact words were never recorded. There was no devotion to St. Joseph in the early church, but he was later venerated by the great saints of the Middle Ages. Back in 1870, Pope Pius IX declared St. Joseph the patron, saint, and protector of the Catholic Church. You're the Archbishop of a diocese whose patron saint is St. Joseph. Talk for a minute about St. Joseph and the important role that he had in the life of Jesus. St. Joseph was the guardian of the Redeemer. He is the one who gave the legal name and status to Jesus uh, uh, and, you know, uh, custodian and protector 
of uh, of Our Lady and the Child Jesus. And, you know, popes have written, well, not only popes, but others too have written beautifully about the, the role of St. Joseph in the Church. Uh, you know, we had the year of St. Joseph, although because of COVID, it was kind of a stunted uh, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of celebration. It didn't really take off as it normally would under normal circumstances. But Pope Francis wrote a very uh, fine letter on uh, on St. Joseph under different aspects, you know, the kind of man he is, the kind of saint he is, the model he is for us. And uh, Pope St. John Paul had done the same. Um, and of course, Pope Benedict's name was Joseph Ratzinger. He, he obviously had that as a great patron. So, uh, you know, we as in our cathedrals named for St. Joseph, we invoke his intercession uh, over our local church and pray that he will help all of us to to be people of faith, hope, and love. What circumstances in life should propel us to seek the spiritual aid of St. Joseph in our lives? Well, I think one of the things about St. Joseph that is very crucial for today is the whole notion of fatherhood. I mean, let's face it, fatherhood and and Christian manhood is taking quite a beating in today's world. Mm-hmm. And uh, with so many broken homes, so much divorce— so much trauma to children because of absent fathers. Um, I really think, you know, the, uh, women's concerns are very valid, and I don't mean to take anything away from them, but there is also a big crisis today about uh, fatherhood and manhood and Christian fatherhood in particular. And so I think from St. Joseph, and, and again, I would commend our listeners to read Pope Francis's uh a uh, letter on St. Joseph, which, you know, I'm sure is easily available on, online uh, as a meditation for men about uh, what it means to be a, 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 a Catholic man at, in today's world. Archbishop, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that's drawn from some of his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and we'll ask you, to comment with your own thoughts. This is taken from Pope Francis's message for Lent 2022, and it's called, Let Us Not Grow Tired. And since it is a substantially long message, I've edited it and divided it into three parts so that we can adequately talk about what the Pope said. We spoke about part one last week. This is part two in our series. The Pope says, Let us not grow tired of praying. Jesus taught us to pray always without becoming weary. We need to pray because we need God. Faith does not spare us life's burdens and tribulations, but it does allow us to face them in union with God in Christ, with the great hope that does not disappoint, whose pledge is the love that God has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Let us not grow tired of uprooting evil from our lives. One of these is addiction to the digital media, which impoverishes human relationships. Lent is a propitious time to resist these temptations and to cultivate instead a more integral form of human communication, made up of authentic encounters face-to-face and in person. Archbishop, your thoughts? Well, of course, these are two very different uh, things, uh, but they both are you know, val- very valid, especially the first, let us not grow tired of praying. And this is not from Pope Francis, it's from Jesus, who said, pray always without becoming weary, without ceasing. And uh, I think that's very important to know that that comes from the mouth of Jesus himself, because we do grow weary of prayer. I mean, sometimes, look how these days, what kind of prayers are being poured forth for Ukraine, Mm -hmm. uh, for an end to this violence and suffering. And we pray for it, and we may wonder, is God really hearing our prayers? We we see in the media people being bloodied, killed, 
deprived of the fundamentals of of life, this horrific suffering, and we keep imploring God to to, to help us stop it. And it, you know, sometimes we may wonder, is God really hearing our prayers? But that's where we have to do what Jesus says and pray without becoming weary. You know, I think too that sometimes God answers our prayers, but in ways that we don't expect. In other words, when you pray to God, you can't think that that unless you get the solution you want, that somehow God has not heard your prayer. We have to believe that even if, uh, in many respects, what exactly we thought we were praying for did not happen, it doesn't mean that God is not answering that prayer in some other hidden ways or other ways uh, that maybe are in a different plane than the plane that that we see and that we, we want. And if, then the second thing, you know, which the other thing the Pope says, let us not go tired of uprooting evil from our lives. Well, that takes us back to the sacrament of penance. You know, that sometimes in the confessional, people get discouraged because their faults are the same faults, and they wind up confessing the same things. And they say, is it any use? Why should I do this? Because, um, you know, it's just the way I am. Well, that's where we also have to be vigilant, that we not grow tired of uprooting evil from our lives, even if it's the same kinds of weaknesses that we have. We have to fight that, and we have to keep confessing it. Uh, and, you know, Jesus fell three times on his passion on the way to the cross, and he got up, and each time we fall, we have to keep getting up too. Pope Francis believes digital media impoverishes human relationships. Do you agree with that? Well, it can. Uh, you know, everything that we have in the world uh, can be put to good or bad use. You know, we all have to eat and drink, right? Mm-hmm. But if we eat and, and drink to excess uh, or we eat and drink the wrong things, uh, bad comes from that. And, uh, you know, we all have – I mean, there's, that's true of everything. So a good analogy, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, um, yeah, the digital media are, are an instrument uh, that, of human intelligence and they they can – I mean, it's like any invention, whether it's the telephone or television or automobiles, this more contemporary kind of new frontier, new horizon of digital electronic communications. You know, we have to we have to humanize it and we have to uh, make good use of it and not bad. So uh, that's that's a very important thing, too. Let's take a look now at our gospel reading on this second Sunday of Lent, the 13th day of March. Today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the ninth chapter. After the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, asking for your thoughts. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered, and his raiment became dazzling white. And behold, two men talked with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they wakened, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well that we are here. Let us make three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, As he said this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my son, my chosen. 
listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silence and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Archbishop, talk to us about what this Transfiguration Gospel means to you and what we should take from it. Well, the Transfiguration, which is a fancy word for what just has been described in the Gospel, is when Jesus was transfigured in the sight of Peter, James, and John. And uh, it always uh, appears on the Sunday in Lent. And the reason is because the Transfiguration happens as Jesus is on his way, getting closer to his death on Good Friday. It's, they're on their way to, to, uh, to, to Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, that's when Peter, James, and John are given this vision of Christ in his glory. Uh, and it's meant to give them, to in- increase their faith, to encourage them, even though we know that when the time came for the Passion and the stark reality before their eyes was such that they faltered and Peter even denied Christ. Nevertheless, this tremendous uh, vision of the transfiguration was engraved on their hearts to give them courage and help them to keep going forward and persevere. And same thing for each of us. So when we have our crosses in life and we look at the crucifix and we see Jesus there bowed and bloody and dying, we have to remember also the transfiguration and the and the resurrection because the transfiguration is a foreshadowing of the of the resurrection the voice coming from the cloud seems to be for peter james and john this is my chosen son listen to him the message for all of us must be the same listen to him however it's, yes it, it, it's harder to listen to jesus today what do you perceive are some of the obstacles in our contemporary society that make it difficult to listen to jesus today Oh, I think it's always been difficult to listen to Jesus because the world, the flesh, and the devil are shouting in our ear constantly, whether we live in the first century or the 21st. And so we have to make uh, an effort with God's grace, of course. God does give us the grace if we have the desire and the will to do it, uh, to, uh, to hear Christ speaking to us. Nothing in, in particular comes to mind in, in terms of our contemporary society that blocks out our hearing of the voice of Jesus? For instance, there's so much talk politically, there's so much political division that's taking place today. Sometimes we can get so confused by that and frustrated by that that the voice of Jesus calling us to love one another and care for the needs of one another and build communities by the charity that we share with one another becomes a source of division instead of a source of unity. Well, yes, but that's always been true. I mean, it was true even during our Lord's ministry and life in this world. It's always been true, but I will agree that one of the, one of the things today is the kind of division uh, that uh, seems to be marking life in our society today ever more strongly, and that uh, is very problematic. But, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil are, have always been at war uh, against uh, uh, the truth of uh, that Christ came to bring us. So wherever we are and whatever we do, we have to be vigilant. Let's take a look at some of the questions that our listeners have written in with or called in with. For instance, Joel from Torrington says, My mother passed away less than a year ago, and my father is now in hospice. It has been a difficult time for my family, but my sister has been particularly troubled. She is fearful of the unknown and whether she will ever see them again. Do you have any words of comfort that may help her live through and beyond her grief? 
first of all, my sympathies at your loss. My the only the words of comfort, the best words I can com- of comfort I can give, are Christ's own words. Uh, I mean, in, in the gospel, what Jesus says, and then what's also in the epistles. Uh, you know, Saint Paul, Saint Peter, Saint John. Those, you know, those are the words of spirit and life, and um, obviously presenting those words to someone in a sympathetic way and uh, uh, with solidarity uh, is meant to be a consolation and in our own belief in those words. If we believe what we are hearing from Scripture, then we can, you know, they're not just a, a dry bones kind of thing in a book. We have to bear witness to it by our faith. But that, that is the great consolation that we can give to anyone. Lou from Cheshire says, Are plant-based meat substitutes okay for Catholics to eat on Ash Wednesday and Fridays during Lent? Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, there's nothing particularly, uh, there's nothing at all evil about eating meat. But uh, it, it, the the fasting from, from meat is, is meant to choose that particular food based in Scripture, by the way, as a way of self-discipline. And so we do it communally together, and so that also has a great importance. So, no, if somebody eats something that's a substitute and gives up meat, that's as long as it's not meat, that's perfectly fine. Rose from Simsbury says, Can someone who is not Catholic go to confession with a Catholic priest? Well, Rose, to receive the sacraments, you have to be in full communion with the Church, now, God does not, with, we, we can't judge, you know, uh, God's grace can work outside the visible boundaries of the Catholic Church, but uh, we know to, go, to receive the sacraments, you, you would need to be in full communion with the Catholic Church. So if someone came to me and told them we're not Catholic, I would try to counsel them and I would pray with them and even give them a blessing, but I, I wouldn't give them sacramental absolution, no. Jay from Colbrook, Colbrook says, Many Catholics are fearful of the impact sexual abuse scandals will have on the Catholic Church for the long term. Just the other day, Bishop Gustavo Zanqueta was sentenced to four and a half years in prison after an Argentine court found him guilty of sexually abusing seminarians. With cases like these continuing to happen, many are angry and afraid the Church will not survive. What are your thoughts on the survival of the Catholic Church in the 21st century? Well, Jay, the Catholic Church will always survive because it's founded on Jesus Christ. And so Jesus promised to be with us until the end of time. And I can tell you right now, if you if you read church history, you'll be amazed that the church is still here today. Mm-hmm. Because without taking anything away from the horror of the sexual abuse crisis that was perpetrated by some members of the clergy— uh, you know, and uh, and was not properly dealt with by some members of the hierarchy in a way that is scandalous and really very uh, difficult for people to accept or understand. Uh, that does not mean that that the whole church is corrupt, that all priests and bishops are somehow corrupt. And the church has survived a lot of horrible things. Um, and I do think a great consolation is to read church history. If you saw what the church was like at some of the other ages in the past where things were out of hand and had to be severely rep, uh, reformed, uh, you, you will, you will, to me it's a testimony to the fact that the church is 
preserved by God and will be until the end of time. Crystal from Hartford says, The Knights of Columbus announced it is giving $1 million for Ukrainian refugees fleeing Russia's invasion and has also begun a Ukraine Solidarity Fund. It aims to match funds donated up to $2 million. Supreme Knight Patrick Kelly said, quote, The people of Ukraine and our brother knights in that nation need our help. Ukraine has a population of more than 41 million. It is estimated that more than 5 million Ukrainians may become refugees. Is the Archdiocese of Hartford collecting donations to help support the people of Ukraine? We are not doing it directly because we are not in the best position to do that. When I found out that the Knights of Columbus had started this relief fund, we immediately put it on our Archdiocesan website and encouraged people to contribute to the KFC Relief Fund. I have uh, I immediately made a personal contribution of my own to that relief fund, and I understand that there are some other Catholic agencies perhaps that are out there uh, that you can turn to. Uh, but uh, as far as the Archdiocese itself collecting donations, we're not really in a position to do that. We need to do it through agencies that have the wherewithal to reach the people in Ukraine. I want to encourage anyone listening who wants to, to go either to the Knights of Columbus website or our Archdiocese of Hartford website and, uh, and, and contribute to that fund. If an individual pastor of a parish in the Archdiocese wanted to take up a collection within the parish and uh, support the Knights of Columbus efforts, you wouldn't have any problem Well, no, with I that. told them to do that. Okay. I've, I've, I've encouraged our, our priests to do so this. So they can do that on their own then? Yes, and, you know, the Knights have a presence in Ukraine. They're not just uh, doing this uh, from a distance. Uh, you know, there are Knights of Columbus in the Philippines, in Mexico, in Poland, in Ukraine, and several other countries. And so uh, there are there is the Knights in Ukraine, and so they are in a position to be able to help on the ground. To get the support right directly there where it is needed most, huh? And as I've pointed out publicly in our own here in Connecticut, in Stamford, we have the Ukrainian eparchy, which means diocese uh, of Stamford with Bishop Komniki. And I'm sure that if any listeners went to their website, the Ukrainian eparchy of Stamford, they might also find uh, a way. I know that the Ukrainian Catholic Church here in our own archdiocese has been, been uh, collecting funds. So there are many ways uh, you, that you can go directly uh, to do this to the people who are on the ground involved. One last question, Archbishop. This is from Dennis from New Britain. Dennis says, It's been my experience that when a youth leaves home for college, they sometimes lose their ties to the church and in some cases are encouraged to turn away from their faith. How does the Archdiocese of Hartford support on-campus ministry and promote the Catholic Church at universities in Connecticut and their surrounding college communities? Well, Dennis, that's a very good question. Some weeks ago, I attended the New England well, I, I went to an event that's part of the New England Conference called Focus that Father Michael Casey uh, held at his uh, parish in uh, uh, New Britain, connected with Central Connecticut. Focus is uh, an on-campus group that, that send, has peer ministry. In other words, they're young university graduate Catholics who uh, spend their time on campus uh, promoting the faith. But we also uh, have recently uh, tried to get our parishes uh, that have college campuses and universities uh, nearby 
to bring these young people to the to the church uh, for the practice of their faith, to facilitate that, encourage it. Uh, because sometimes if you just have a campus minister on campus, that person may wind up having some little pizza party once a week for the Catholics that want to come. Uh, but sometimes it, not always, but sometimes it doesn't amount to more than that. And then when these young Catholics graduate, they don't really have a connection to parish life. Uh, so we're we're trying to emphasize that uh, young Catholics on campus should be drawn into local parishes and encouraged to participate. And we also, through the encouragement of things like Focus, are are trying to uh, have an on-campus uh, presence of young Catholics uh, bringing in uh, and, and helping other young Catholics. This is an admirable thing to do because what it does is it helps ground the individual student's life in parish life where the faith will be nurtured and grow long after his college years. Yes. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer? Heavenly Father, during the season of Lent, your mercy is poured out for us. Your invitation to mercy is poured out for us in the words of the gospel, in the words of your beloved Son, that we should repent and believe in the gospel, that we should turn to him as our Lord and Savior. So we ask you, amid all the crises and troubles that afflict our world, the great violence in Ukraine, the injustices that are part of life, that we turn to you in repentance for our own sins, and we ask your mercy on the sinful world. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. Uh, We wish you continued prayers during this penitential season of Lent. Thank you.